You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. Welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd podcast. Nerds. Ooh, ooh. So we are rolling in. Trying these. something new every week. It's better than your nerd alert. If you're listening first time, you're like, God damn, they're right. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how big of Kiss nerds they are, but they're definitely nerds. Uh, we're. Uh, well, we're reaching the tail end of our Paul sta- of our of our solo albums. <laughs> I've already fucked this whole we, episode we, up. We can't <laughs> we can't make any sort of joke. We can't say anything without giggling about this Paul episode. We started the last episode with it. Now we're keeping it going. Okay. All, right. All right, here we are. We're we are we are we are at the end of the uh, exploration of the uh, solo albums. Yes, and this is the the Paul Stanley episode and this is i'm sure this is gonna we're, we're gonna do our best here and if this is the first episode in this series you're listening to go back and listen to the other three before this this is episode d yes a b c d mm-hmm. and this is the paul stanley solo album um we'll see let's see what have i got here we're the, most of this from what i understand was recorded at electric lady studio in february of yep. 1978 and yep. this is important to the timeline, to their story that the narrative they've always put forth is the solos were born out of uh, disharmony within the group that really came to a to a head during the filming of Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. However, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park was not being filmed until May of 78. So mm-hmm. Paul's already in the studio working on this. This project, and we've already said, this was already a contractually mandated thing. So their narrative... I'm sure all of that came into play as far as like the disharmony and the eagerness to go and do these other albums, but it was all on the table. It was all open and ready for them to go do. Um, Now, one question I do have, though, which is I, I wonder if it's just the way it's been archived and listed and talked about. All of these songs, of course, came from their own personal demos and when they discuss the whole narrative of doing solo albums during the recording or filming rather of kiss me's the phantom it's more often than not i hear that ace is the one really pushing going i want to do solo material and then bill a coin quote unquote has the idea why don't we all do solo albums yeah but even though it's saying stuff like recorded february to july of 78 for for instance paul Mm. i know that a lot of his material was polished up demos. Would they be possibly referencing the demo stages that they would usually be in anyway? Well, that's what, you know, from what I've gathered on the research that I've gotten is that most of this electric lady stuff was done pretty quick. Mm -hmm. They were, I think live in the studio essentially. Yeah. And so that may that's why it lends lends credence to to the idea that these were initially going to be demos. Right. And it seemed like I read somewhere where he even said, "No, this is a demo," and it was like very polished for a demo. And the guy was like, "Wow, that's that's better than most." You know, he's like, "That could be an album track." Yeah. Um, one of the guys that played on it, it mm-hmm. seems like. Um, real fast. Uh, Cap, look up and see if you can find the info when Ace's album was recorded. I I don't remember if we addressed that on the Ace record now or not. But uh, that was recorded June to July of '78. Okay, so so that makes well. I don't know the draw, had, motherfucker. You, you, when you laptop, when you get so. asked a question, you start frowning and like hunching your shoulders and like typing away like I a madman. <laughs> well, I'm just saying we know that, that maybe when Paul was in the studio in February '78, maybe he wasn't intending this 
to be his solo album. So maybe he was just making demos. Maybe. Because Paul's album feels very rushed to me. And I, and I think there's some reasons why, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into. But um, I know when he finally, you know, they're going to make this. And he his first choice for producer is Ron Nevison. Mm-hmm. And he's unable to get Ron Nevison. And somehow he gets uh, Jeff Glixman. And, and what is he? Who is he normally associated with? Um, the first man I can think of off the top of my head is Kansas. Okay, which is kind of a bizarre pairing yeah. there, and it doesn't work out. So Glixman gets a co-production credit on this, but I think most of this is really, you know, Paul. Uh, I think uh, there's a few co-writes on this too with a guy named Michael Jap. Who yeah, is, Michael uh, Jap. Who wait, wait, you know. I meant to look that up last night. He's, you'll tell me because I've already I know the answer. To this. <laughs> album work featuring Michael Jab, New Nation, uh, uh, the, the babies. babies, the Babies. Yes, the Babies. He also worked on Killers and Creatures of the Night. Well, that's the reason why uh, he wanted Ron, Paul wanted Ron Nevison was because of Nevison's work with the Babies. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a Babies record the other day. Oddly enough, which oh, no one? Shit. Which one? Uh, I forget what it was. It's like uh, what it's called, but uh, it's like a hand reaching out and up the top. And then at the bottom is like a, f- a foot with a high heel shoe yeah, on it, kind of raising uh, up from the bottom. That's um, oh god, I'm, I mean my my, my memory. <laughs> the baby's knowledge is just not. There's a, <laughs> a song on that. Duh, baby. Yeah, duh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> There's a song on that is killer. It's like a almost like a ballad. Um, I think it's called "You've Got It." It's so good. I'll have to check out the baby. Such then. a great song. I will say, I find it interesting that on uh, Paul's record. Um, basically, side A and side B are separate musicians. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, and and half of it was recorded in New York, and half of it in L.A. And yep. I think the the and, and half of it is the Jeff Glixman stuff, and half of it's his stuff. Mm-hmm. But going back to the babies, uh, sorry, tying this kiss thing together, we made this made this little trivial thing connection about a guy named. Um, see, God damn it! <laughs> now it's gone. Um. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Names, why information. Am I, why am I having these moments, man? You know? <laughs> well, I'm, one I'm, connection that I found, too, is that uh, Mike D. Stone at the record plant uh, was one of the mixers on this album, and he was also associated with the uh, Peter Chris album as well. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, uh, a lot of the songs, like say uh, the uh, Electric Lady demos, uh, wound up being the album tracks mm-hmm. on top uh with some other like uh, bells and whistles on top. Am I correct? I, that's what I've been leading to believe. Cause I was kind of going back like in my memory banks. And I remember hearing a version of like, wouldn't you like to know me? That was a demo version that like had like very similar drums. Like it was like the same drum track. Uh, it was maybe like a older voc Paul vocal track, but it's like, you could hear that. Like they only added a couple little extra things later on and polished it up. Well, uh, the connection with the babies was Michael Jap, and then a guy named Ray Kennedy wrote the song, Isn't It Time? And Ray Kennedy was in Phantom of the Paradise. Well, he wasn't in Phantom of the Paradise, but we were talking about Art Munson being mm-hmm. on the Peter solo album, and he yeah. was in Phantom of the Paradise and played the song that uh, Ray Kennedy voiced. Okay. It's just weird so, little, little trivial things that how I, these things sort of snake together in their weird back ways. It is. And I wonder if that was part of like um, uh, Delaney, Bogart, someone at Casablanca, someone in the wings kind of helping them get these session musicians together and just being like, well, we've got a handful here. You go to this project, you go to that I don't project. Think so I think, I think, I think particularly with Paul, he's a lot more hands on. I think, yeah. More, you know, after we said Aces is probably the closest true solo album because only because he plays most of it himself. Yeah. I think Paul's is very close second because I think Paul's is the most hands on. Like we talked about with Gene's album, it felt more like Sean Delaney was really in control. Right. Yeah. But here, Paul's clearly in control. Oh, yeah. He has well, very Paul's definite. always in control. Well, and he has, because <laughs> he's got very clear and definite ideas of what he wants to do. He sees the destination and he knows what it takes to get there. You can say whatever you I want to say about fuck yeah, out of him. Absolutely. This guy has drive. He has ambition. And he knows. And he's a great fucking songwriter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This record proves. And um, that's the reason why, actually, to get ahead of it, this is my favorite of the four. And it's because of everything you just said there. Uh, it's the reason why Aces kind of fell out of favor a little bit for me. Is Aces that great guitar record? 
And I feel that this is a good songwriter record. This song, this record is full of hooks, yeah. catchy riffs. Right. You find yourself humming along to solos. To me, this is a well-crafted solo record. It is. And but to another end, this is also a great guitar record. Yep. Oh, it definitely. I is. mean, the guitar tone on this is fucking killer. And I, I will and, say, uh, this this record was ground zero for me uh, as inspiration for the last uh, full LP our band, the Fillins, did. Never heard of them. That guitar tone, everything. There's a song we have called Dramatic. Mm-hmm. I, that fuzzy little guitar kind of sound that he has on like a Wouldn't You it Like to Know it Me? It ain't little. It's huge. Well, I mean, no, like in Wouldn't You Like to Know Me? Right. You know how it kind of sounds a little oh, small a little during thin. the intro yeah, and then it walks. Yeah, yeah. I lifted that exact same kind of thought process of yeah. started with kind of the scratchy small guitar and then wah, right, bring right. it all up. It's like I love the production of this record. Well, let's, let's dive in. We'll start uh, side one, song one. Tonight, uh, tonight you belong to me. It's yes. a cool little. It's a great uh, lead song for this album. It's got too. A, it, it harkens back a little bit to uh, I want, I you. want you. you. It's got the almost kind of false start where, mm-hmm. where he does the acoustic, you know, kind of lush thing. Yes, and then it goes straight into the the, the hard riff. guitar. Now I will say something that uh, I don't really hear people talk about when that song kicks in with the dun dun dun. Uh, the guitar riff is playing the main but if you listen carefully, there's a, a keyboard or an organ in the background holding one note, I, it's and not, it is so cool. That's not what it is. We got I've got that in here in my notes. Okay, I've done some I did some research. On is this that the Ebo thing? That's the what I'm Ebo. At too. I was looking that up, and I could I was trying to I looked it up, and I was like trying to mentally place where that would be I mean, in a song. Using that, you know, we talked about that with the Love Gun demo. Yeah, we that's the first place I, I, I now can hear where it popped up. Okay. Like he's you know, in the demo for Love Gun, it's there. Yeah. It's that drone oh, note. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was until you know, I did the research on this. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's an interesting he uses this a lot on this record. And um He's doing. There's a lot of little flourishes on this that you know. And until you really, if you're listening close, you probably don't really notice or think about it. Like uh, he's got kind of a choral part uh, on the end of this track. Mm-hmm. That's it's just him overdubbing himself. Yeah, you know. And it's like it's there, but it's almost in 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 line with what he's doing with I guess the Ebo, mm-hmm. right? So it's almost like you know, it's almost like it's a it, like you said, it's almost like a, it sounds like almost like a keyboard part or yeah, something. Yeah, it did. It's, That's it's what so I thought subtle it was for so long. that you never really notice. It doesn't come conscious, and the guitar is over the top of it in yeah. such a way that's more pronounced. And it you know, it's really clever the way it's all arranged and put together i think so and i love it this song is just a great song i mean oh, you know yeah. great uh, love song this this is a i'm surprised this doesn't have you know, stronger legs that it would have bled over into a, a kiss set mm-hmm. as opposed to way about a lot of the songs in this album huh i feel that way about a lot of the songs in this album yeah i think some of these songs though i don't think kiss would have handled well you don't think so? I mean, I think it's 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 got Paul's signature, and as such, it could have been. But I think you know, in their hands, it wouldn't have had the same. You know, it just wouldn't have had the same effect. I think I think that's very true, uh, especially because uh, moving on haha, to the next song, yeah. this is the song which is move on that they did, did put in live. in the D- Dynasty set. And they did not play it as well as the studio version. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, it comes down to Peter and his frantic playing during that Dynasty tour just didn't serve it as Maybe, well as... yeah. It doesn't, you know, which is weird because this leans hard into the R&B area that he does so well and mm-hmm. that Paul does so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just know, didn't hit live. It's got, a, again, it's got um, more Ebo stuff in it. Yeah. Um, and it's got those breakdown parts, which apparently I think I found out. Paul claims that he was inspired by Bad Company for this. And when he when I read that, I was like, ah, this is good love and gone bad. Not directly, but that same kind of uh, there's a there's a part in Good Love and Gone Bad where it breaks down and he does kind mm-hmm. of the soft too, vocal, yeah, with like the bass lines, and then and then, and and then it snaps back in to the to the hard part. Yeah, yeah. And that's what uh, you know. That's he's he's following that paradigm. He's not. It's yeah, yeah. not good love and gone bad, but it's the same paradigm. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. He was a big free and Paul Rogers fan. Anyway. Yeah, he was huge into that. So another and, little production note I like is um, 
after the solo, when he gets back to that breakdown, the times these events, it's kind of pain. There's now a piano in the background. You hear like two notes, like a little doom, doom kind of thing. It's the only time you really hear it, but there's one extra little something yeah. in that breakdown. See, but I don't think there's any keys on this. I don't recall reading. Look and see if you can find. Is there? Is there a... Pianos on the album? Wait, yeah. actually, I take that back. I think maybe there is. There was a... Well, I mean, Hold Me, Touch Me is all, starts say, out all piano. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the only piano credit yeah. that's on the uh, yeah. See, I'm having, the man, I'm having senior moments all over the place here. <laughs> but, yeah, so I just thought that was one. I always like when bands do that. They add, like, one little thing uh, to change up a verse or a chorus well, that they so don't do. it's so subtle that you almost don't even notice it. Mm-hmm. But it keeps your attention anyway. You don't know why it keeps your attention until we break it down like we do because we're nerds. And, this- and the guitar solos... Oh yeah, yeah. Well, some of these solos are Paul. Oh yeah. Yep. And and I don't think you know. I think like Bob Kulick was quite content to go through life claiming ownership of all of this. Yeah. And this is. I think a lot of this is Paul. I, I think. I think this one's Bob because of Possibly. how fast. Like that. Well, I tell you, going back to. Is it? Is it at the? You know what? It's at the end of tonight. You belong to me. I think where there's a bum note. Mm-hmm. And they I left think the, it. Yeah, I, think I know what you're Paul talking solos. about. You know? I think that's a Paul move yeah, on that one. But, yeah, but I mean, it didn't need to stay there, but they left it because it was like the rest of it was good. Let's just, uh-huh. you know, they didn't even bother to punch in just a single note to fix it. It's there. It's uh-huh. just like that. It's, it's like the finger slip just, just a little. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, this has the backing vocals, though, move on of Desmond Child's uh, Rouge Girls. Rouge. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I accidentally was trying to claim that on this. The Gene, Gene record. record yeah. No, it's, it's here. Uh, so yeah, Paul has now made the connection with Desmond Child, and I want to say he was wanting to produce them or did. I yeah, I remember. think he produced one of the uh, or helped uh, co-write some songs with Desmond yeah. at the very least. And of course, you know that kick started Desmond Child's career as a songwriter. Yep, and like for good or for not. Yeah, <laughs> you know that there's there's there's. There's, say what you want about the Bon Jovi songs. Say what you want about any of his stuff, you know. But he's been, you know, that guy's. You know, at successful. least twenty of his songs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I love this song. I think it's great. Uh, sassy Paul vocal. Yeah, I've uh-huh. always loved this. I like the breakdown parts. I like, I like the lyrics too. It. Like yeah. it starts out. When I was just a baby, yeah. Mama sat me on her knee. I, I mean, that's it's, not that's that's old. I mean, that goes back. That's to, soul stuff. Yeah, right that's there. old blues lines. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, that's been used in a thousand songs. So what? it's still cool. It I know. I love it. You know? Um, yeah, I dig this track a lot, too. I used to not like it as much, but it's grown on me within the last couple of years. I really, I've always really liked it. I also love the big rock star outro it's got because mm-hmm. it has a little break, a skip breaks. A but the thing is it's almost kind of big band right like it's, with the with the way the rhythm guitars well, are always kind of working thing. he's mm-hmm. always done that r&b thing and a lot of times some of it you know i think his guitar parts are, are you know mimic horn parts and such you know mm-hmm. again with the use of the ebo mm-hmm. you know um, i kind of want to get one of those now now i right? know what it is yeah. <laughs> fuck around with it uh then it goes into ain't quite right mm-hmm I've got written here very urban New York City at night kind of vibe. Yes, especially that intro. The mm, uh, uh. this was always one of the ones that I would skip on this record, but kind of going through uh, these solo albums and having that New York context kind of adds uh, to this song well, for me now. I, I think Peter does this vibe better than Paul. I'd agree with that. But then again, I, I have written here maybe Paul lives in a different New York City than Peter does. <laughs> I'd agree with that too. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's got the thing, but I could almost hear sax on this. Uh-huh. Oh, totally, dude. Absolutely. And I think, I wrote, does Paul play lead on this? I think Paul plays lead on a lot of this. I think there's more Paul leads on here than, than I don't we know. know. So, but it, I, it, I'm, I'm inclined to want to agree, but at the same time, I have to look at, like, other things that we know Paul has done solos on. Mm-hmm. He's a very harmonic soloist. Mm-hmm. So, think about... It's in the future even, but uh, like sure knows something. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we can even bring it back to I Stole Your Love. Mm-hmm. It's very do, 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 bum, 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 bum. He doesn't do a lot of fast no, movement with his solos. But I can hear that. That's why I can hear that on this mm-hmm. and on some of his other stuff. Um, 
you know, I have a particular Paul solo that is my favorite, which we'll get to in a future episode. Okay. Right. But he's like, you know, he, may, he a has a, but my point is that he has a feel and a style that, that you don't immediately call to mind because it's so seldomly ever used. Yeah. But after a while of listening to some of that stuff, you start picking up, ah, I think that's probably him. See, I'm still in the camp of I think ain't quite right as Bob, but then something like Take Me Away is 100% Paul. I think that's a Paul solo. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's but go. Ain't Quite Right is a great song. I like that a lot. I, again, I, I think it's 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 got, like I said, it's kind of got that urban New York City thing, but mm-hmm. I, I think Peter would have been better. I mean, had they brought that to the Kiss and given it to Peter... I think he would have like had Ooh, some fun with that, that. That's an interesting yeah, what if if this had been, been a Peter song. Yeah. Sounds like would have been, which of course you know Paul would never no. have done <laughs> because Peter would have fucking nailed that shit out into a fucking because it's totally stratosphere up you know? his alley potentially. It's up mm-hmm. his alley. Um, God, that would have been cool to hear him. Say. <laughs> I know that. Like that, just now thinking about that, I started. Yeah, I like that a lot. Wouldn't you like to know me? My favorite song on the record and probably in my top three favorite Paul songs of all time. I adore this song. Uh, I've written this would have benefited Kiss and Kiss would have benefited this. I think so. I don't I know. I think Ace would have just chewed this one up. I mean, that's kind of like uh, what Bob does. It's kind of an Ace move, too. That I, don't think, I don't think it's near as good as what I think Ace could have done with it. And oh, Bob yeah, Keelick's always talking about, like, well, you know, Ace would come in and be like, how are things going? And he'd be like, oh, it's the best you ever played. <laughs> and it's like, man, you know what? I mean, you know, rest in peace, Bob, whatever. But fuck you, man. <laughs> You know, because I think it's just some things. No, but for real, there's things that you know, obviously Bob Kulik could probably do better than Ace, whatever. But no, I think this song could have been a Kiss song and it would have been a different song in many ways. Mm-hmm. But I think it could have been a better song. And I really think this would have given up, you know, whereas uh, Ain't Quite Right would have benefited with Peter's vocal. This mm-hmm. would have been benefited by Ace's lead on this. Ace, I'll, Ace I'll, give, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I, can, I guess it's just so hard because I think this. There's nothing about this song I don't like. Yeah, well, I, I, I love this song. And, yeah, and I think I that's what's made it like as it exists. That's, it's great. That's what's making me have to like pause and mm-hmm. like have to reconsider it because again, if I could just select any song that's like perfection from Paul, I would be this one. So having to break that thought for a second and go, we'll put Ace in it. It's it like, might be perfection, but I think with Ace, it'd have been perfectioner. Yeah, and having to sit here and think on it, some I would agree with you. I, I I do like that. I love the One, twelve string bits that are on it too. I was, is it a twelve string or an acoustic? I think it's both because during the verses, that's I, I'll argue that that's an acoustic. Yeah, there's an acoustic, but I'm sure there's pick, there's picky parts, well, that, especially when it breaks well, the down. Descending, the descending. Dun, 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 I think that's Paul's just. I think that's his tone with. It's just a big that's, sound. That's that jangle tone he uses. Even when the bass and the other guitar comes out and the so play that's that one part. Dun, dun, I mean, that's you know, around that time he was he did have a double neck that he was using on stage. Yeah, very but, briefly, and I could see maybe that's that electric. 12 string see when i listen to it that's that 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 is the thin guitar that i was talking about that we used in dramatic and and you're conflating the fact that we're using that in dramatic that's the what we use there i still think that is that's paul stanley's jangle tone that can be found throughout his entire catalog on this stuff i don't know i could uh, once he says that i wonder if he's using an electric 12 because he was a big you know jimmy page team so I, 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 have, I have I, know, I have obsessed over this record. <laughs> I this might be a, wrong. There's only a few records you'll ever hear me get heated about in argument points, yeah, and this, this is, is one I, of them. Just right now, just hearing the the overload on the microphones, how you guys are getting excited. I'm like, <laughs> I don't think we've welcome ever, to the Kiss Nerd Podcast. I don't y'all. think we've ever gotten this excited over anything we've talked about. You're dealing with two guitar nerds got, battling it out. To a point where uh-huh. you are like, no, no, <laughs> God damn it, it wasn't a twelve string. <laughs> Regardless of what was used, I fucking love it. This it's is great. inspired by a, a Raspberry song called Tonight, which has that same kind of descending chord pattern at the front of it. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's one of his more clever lifts because listening to that Raspberry song without thinking, wouldn't you like to know me? I wouldn't have immediately drawn the well, connection. That's the, that's the, and that's what makes one of the great strengths of Paul is he's a great stylist. Uh, going back to Move On, being you know 
that that being that kind of framework that they used for good love and God bad, and now this being you know that descending chord pattern like in tonight, Paul's taking ideas, but he's not. St- Stealing them. Does it make sense? Yeah. He's, he's working them. he's working that form. And that's what he does really, really well. It may not be an original idea, mm-hmm. but he turns it into an original I mean, idea. That's what, what all you know, great songwriters which all do anyway. Is all great songwriting is, you uh-huh. know? And, and and you know, this is that's what Paul does really well. That that leads into this next one, the take me to take me away together as yes. one. Very Zeppelin esque. Mm-hmm. Very much so. You know, this the you know, he's definitely Going there, and even gets a guy that that uh that kind of has a not a Zeppelin feel, but very you know advanced and can yeah. play a Zeppelin licks Carmine, that inspired Carmine Peace. Who inspired Peace's drumming on here is who inspired John Bonham. Fucking killer, yes. And Especially the, at the very and, end with all those breaks, all those fills and stuff. And that was the reason why you know he recorded apparently uh, five five or six songs that they didn't use because they didn't like that style. It didn't. He didn't. He decided that that wasn't suiting the songs. I don't know, man. Uh, you know, I mean, Comments I'm not, not to knock. Who? No way. Who? who let's, the, let's. We didn't even go into the 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 uh, players on this. I yeah, know it's the drummers uh, are all over the place. The only consistent one is Bob Kulick, really. Well, there's there's two. Should be two drummers. There I is. I think it's Craig Camp. Is that right? Yep. Craig, yep. Is it Craig Camp or Camp Cramp? Cramp. Cramp. Yeah. My so I thought that's, I always found that difficult to say. Craig Cramp. <laughs> and then and then um, Richie Fontina from when he and stars too. Uh, good question. There's say no. So. There's that, no link. That I want to. That sounds so familiar though, and I've heard that. But he is right. There's no clickable link on it. Um, Looking. <laughs> but this song is it's Zeppelin esque. But it, uh, to me, and I love the song, but it doesn't succeed in in like you know. It kind of calls to mind something like the rain song. I can hear that, yeah, but not not really. You know, I mean, he's going. Like, of it's, Paul's, more, Paul's it's more. Paul's going rockin', for yeah. But. Well, Paul's going for a different atmosphere. It's almost kind of got like a you know, for lack of a better word, not goth but gothic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very dark. Uh, kind of you know uh, you know London after midnight kind of thing. You know, the I can see the mist, you know, when he's got those lines about she wore white and in the, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I will say I love his chorus on this super strong. And it's almost a precursor to what we would hear from him on The Elder. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he really he does. He starts with that loud baritone mm-hmm. and then brings it up. And he kind of does that shit on uh, Elder. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little beginning seed work of that. Yeah. I mean, he's really going for epic right here. And it's not quite epic because the production this doesn't it's really match like, where he's trying to go here. It's not nearly as big as, yeah. like, say, we've talked there's, about there's, like on the Ace record. It sounds so big. And but on the this song one, still carries because it's good songwriting yeah. and, the, and the performance is really good. When it goes into the, the chorus, it's got the big, powerful guitar that kicks in. So, you know, and it's got the Carmine Peace drum, you know. Yeah. Every time. It, uh, that maybe, maybe, and maybe this is the only track that it really suited itself to that that's why they kept it. It, it would make sense. Um, every time that pre-chorus kicks in with that dun, 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 boom, I always want yeah. to go like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can hear the audience in the background going. Uh-huh. I also really like the... Um, uh, the way that it kind of ends out, like the way he goes, like the way he just kind of fades that song out too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like a fade without repeating the chorus over and over and over again. Yes. It's just playing. It's just the and you know, there's no turnaround on it. It just and glides out into the killer drumming on top of it. Glides out into the ether. <laughs> so we'll lift the needle. We'll flip the record over and pop the needle down again, and we get it's all right. Now, if uh, take me away as a precursor to the elder, it's all right. It, to me, is kind of a precursor to the 80s Paul Stanley Kiss jams. I don't hear that at all. Like Crazy Nights a little bit. What? I hear a little Crazy Nights and it's alright. I love the song. You know, I, don't get me wrong. I, say, I hear what you're saying. I would say Crazy Nights lends more toward the Paul Solo record. That well, would be well, my I mean, take. It's, when you think about it, it's a straight line so does it, you know, one feeds the other yeah. anyway. I can hear that. I never really thought of that. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't... I don't dislike it or anything but it's a great song but it kind of reminds me of that. To me, like when I hear it, like just that big opening guitar thing, like, and uh, and even like his uh, vocals through it. To me, it just really reminds me of like 
the big epic sing-alongs that he was kind of writing, whether it be in the vein of like a tomorrow and tonight, just a little bit slowed down, you know, but it's still kind of same, got that, you know, big hype up kind oh, of yeah. vibe to it. You know, I, I'm never, uh, th- when I think eighties, Paul, I think like Van Halen type shit. And like, you know, that, that when he's like really trying to follow the trends, it feels like this is still Paul Stanley in his prime and like still becoming like that sassy vocalist just writing groovy seventies rock. By Van Halen, I don't hear any Van Halen here, but I don't hear it here. I'm talking about eighties Paul. Oh, eighties oh, oh, Paul. Oh, that's what I, yeah. I think. Oh, is think? when he's getting into his Van Halen stuff. I don't hear it at all on this, which is why I, oh, I I'm confusing him. <laughs> You're confusing me, motherfucker. <laughs> I don't think. I, I don't bit. think. Van Halen had much influence on Paul as much in the 80s as Bon Jovi did, but... Um, it's all the same we, to me. We yeah, still get well, those... Get uh, <laughs> st- still get those uh, Paul Stanley uh, slash Keith Richards chords that he uh, kind of... Uh, that, that kind of became his style, that brown sugar riff. You uh, know what I'm talking about? Well, yeah. Um, what I tell you what, you know, I hear the break that, that breakdown part where he goes, come over here. Mm-hmm. And we, I always found that like funny in its own way, but you know, it reminds me in a weird way of like uh jailbreak, but then Lizzie, I can hear that. Hey, you, Come good here. Look, yeah. Good looking, good looking female. Come here. Get over here. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that was intentional, but then again, you never know. Paul being the stylist. You yeah. That's never right. Know where he lists his ideas. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. There, you know, the, the vocal on this, I think is the only vocal that they did that was recorded in England when they mixed it. And it makes me wonder, was there an alternate vocal that he decided to scratch and redo? Hmm. It's a good point. Hmm. Not sure. I don't know. I, guess I don't it's know a, either. It's moot probably yeah. <laughs> at this point, but I just think it's curious if that's the only vocal that they recorded in England, then, you know, wonder why. Um, but no, I love the song. It's in my, uh, despite all, all of that, it's still in my top three on this record. Yeah, it, it's all right. That's one I'm surprised that uh, he didn't even pull out for um, his One Live Kiss tours, like his Paul yeah. Stanley solo tour, because yeah. he was doing a lot from this record, and this just feels like one that would have fit right in with it. Well, it follows up with Hold Me, Touch Me, Think of Me When We're Apart. Whew. I don't know. I like it. I was going to say, bring on the long, hate because I've, cause I've got some title. defense. I've got some defense and I understand okay, the hate. Well, okay, well, I'm going to bring on the hate. Bring it. <laughs> this song is Full Tilt, 70s M.O.R. Drek. But, all right, go ahead. This sorry. is this sounds like when I was a kid, they used to do these t- TV shows in the afternoons every once in a while called the ABC After School Special. And this sounds like the theme to an ABC <laughs> After school special. I can hear that play in the background going in on a very special ABC after school special. No, but uh, Janie's the babysitter and she's fallen in love with her best friend's dad. But when, she, <laughs> but when Gene Simmons does, you will, know, will she ever, you know, whatever. But when Gene know. does like, say when you wish upon a star or like some of the other ballads on his solo record, you know, it kind of contradicts his image, you know, this as is better the demon. than that. It is, but I think with the Hold Me, Touch Me, it kind of you know goes with Paul's image. You know, it makes sense with Paul to me. I get it. It still sucks. <laughs> I, this now, is no. I'm just telling I, you. I this now is call Alex trying. Stiff to the stand. Captain Cap Nunn's kicked this off the is, stand. Here's the defense. <laughs> so I see what you're saying about it being very pedestrian, very light, very easily consumable. But when I hear it, I hear the lover flower child paul stanley to me this oozes 70s you listen to this and it's like everything from the production to the way it builds up to his vocal delivery it sounds like major singer songwriters of the glorious beautiful 70s and that i think is where he was trying to reach now we've also discussed on Ace, I mean on uh, Gene and Peter's records how they had these songs that were like almost there but the foot wasn't quite on the pedal i feel that this song uh is in the same category whereas if there had been just a little bit more oomph to it it would have been a little better but i think this song suffers from the same thing the rest of it does is the foot's not quite on the pedal 
and that just makes a song this, that may already a, be predisposed to not being cared for a little worse. This is not need a song a foot on the pedal because it's supposed to be a ballad. Well, when I say and foot on not, the pedal, I mean a little mean something more. I don't know. Maybe if he was more, he, he, it's not even that he's not committed to the idea here. I just think that this is just a syrupy, like you said, pedestrian. This is it's, it's weak songwriting. He's trying for something that's sentimental, and and you know again. You know, this is tailored towards a female ear, mm-hmm. which yeah. is a totally sexist thing to say. But I mean, let's just be honest. What's wrong with being sexy? <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, and it is. And I don't, I don't, but I don't, you know, I, I didn't write the song. So I'm just telling you, I think well, that that's the gear here. And he's, he's looking for that. So and, it's, it's and primarily said, the lyrics that are kind of hitting it. That no, wrong I think way. the whole, all of it. It's just, it's just the, 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 the production of it. Uh, just it's it's just so mediocre and it's you know, just taking it, him back to a time it's not even that. that it's a ballad it's just a poorly it's just not even it's nothing you know it's so it's just so schmaltzy it's just so syrupy it's not even it is schmaltzy but I like 70s schmaltzy though I know but that just you were there at the time like. when it's it was just like, like <laughs> it's, it, you know this this is his Yacht Rock song yeah. absolutely and, not, and, and it's just like well, since we're so close to the end of the record, I don't. I feel like this isn't jumping too far. So if you're talking about kind of like sappy delivery, when I hear that, I at least kind of think like the way he's delivering the lines and the lines he's saying. I so, guess. So what's so disconnected from that between that and so goodbye? It's only for because, now. Because that's and my, I'm coming back. Yeah, but I swear it's somehow yeah, that's sappy too. It but it's sappy, so but great. It, but, it, but it's got a better. I don't know. It's there's, there. It has something to do with the. Uh, it's big guitars on goodbye. And stuff. Oh, I don't know. Well, let's get, we'll get to that. But I just you know, yeah, as far yeah. as it being easily consumable, this mm-hmm. is a single off the record, and it, it didn't do any good. So it was no. not easily consumable. I don't think. It, I think <laughs> it's because it's just, yeah, it's just not a very good song. And uh, you know, I, I, it's it's like. For all that Paul does, we just sat there and said, I mean, Paul was a great songwriter, you know, and I think this is just him trying too hard and coming up with, you know, with just sand. I will say, you know, one of my favorite I mean, Paul he's Harmony got solos. Of something, but it's not <laughs> nothing you'd want. I love the outro solo, though. And that's you know, all I'm talking about with the wham. I think, I, I think that's Paul, too. I think oh, that's, that's totally yeah, Paul. That's all the absolutely Paul. I think all the guitars, everything on this track is done by Paul. But no, but that I think is seriously fact, my I'll favorite. Give you that. I think the, the the solo playing on this is actually pretty good. Yeah, you know, but um, yeah, this just doesn't seem like a you know this is like a TV movie you know background love theme. Like it. <laughs> it doesn't really do anything for me at all. I don't you know I think he's written better ballads, much better ballads. Oh, he definitely has, but you know I don't know. I don't think there's a bad song on this record. So. Uh, <laughs> you know this this is awful. But anyway, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> uh, Next up is Love and Chains. Love and I'm James. not going to take this from them on <laughs> <it> anymore. <laughs> Love and Chains. No, I think this is cool. And I brought this up to Cap, and it's very much like um, almost like cop drama, 70s funk. But at the same time, imagine a metal band playing this song. With like the, the with like their kind of style with that uh, with their palm music kind of thing like an eighties band that. I think it would have made it worse. It would have made it worse. It's fine the way it is. Well, I'm, I'm not. Come on, man! I just said this is a fucking fantastic album. I'm not saying it would be better that way. What I am saying though is the delivery of it though almost feels like the beginnings of that genre. Does that make sense? Yeah, kinda. That that's can, more or less where I'm getting because even like the big walk downs like the that that's all that kind of stuff you would hear from those '80s metal bands and that's where I'm just like going the DNA of that feels like it's a little bit in there but conf- but mixed in with funk it's a funk delivery on almost a metal riff and with those big guitars it can't, you can't help but think that it's going to be a heavy metal song to an extent too mm-hmm. and, and now I'm just picturing those little breaks where he goes love. In chains and just hearing double yeah, kicks. I was gonna say, <laughs> well, they do do that a little bit. He goes, "Love in chains," like a little skip. Yeah, and yeah. So there is a little bit of a double kick in that part too. I don't know. I, I, don't I guess I'm fucking crazy. Kick. That's a, like a skip or a skip yeah. beat. Yeah. 
Um, I've I've written down that this feels like leftover Kiss, but not in a bad way, and more in just that he had this song and this was the first opportunity he had to use it. Like, I see that. Like it's it's like okay, I've got this. It was probably written with the intention of going towards Kiss, but now mm-hmm. it's here. It is. I'm going to do this now. Uh, I think it's strong. I like it. I've always liked it. Um, I think this is a Bob solo. Yeah, you yeah. know, I was wondering about that. I actually. think it's. A, I think this is one of those examples. So, like, I think a Bob tell is that fast. Dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it. Well, Damn. also, I think uh, his use of uh, of a whammy bar. Yeah, is there's, more. There's also a guy named Steve Lacey that's credited as playing electric guitar on track eight. Now that could be rhythm guitar. I don't yeah, know, but I don't know what that would be. But I thought that was interesting, and he doesn't have a link to uh, on his uh, on this uh-uh. page for anything either. Well, the last song is uh, Goodbye. Yes. And allegedly, this was written in an hour. Like, the guy showed up. He had nothing. He said, go, go, go away write a song. and come back, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'll have the song ready. And he wrote this like that, allegedly. Hmm. Uh, given that, it's surprisingly strong if that's true. Yes. Yeah. I, I think like it's a good a song. And, you know, those big, fat descending chords are cool. I think mm-hmm. they work better here than they do even in, I know you're going to disagree, than uh, it does in When You Like to Know Me. Only because here he's not doing the same phrasing as a raspberry song. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying that as an insult at all. Yeah. I'm just saying I just think it works better. It's just a cool, you know, it's a cool device is used. I think it's the best closer on all the uh, of all the solo albums. And, and the way they kind of wave over on top of each other, you know, in their in a way, does mm-hmm. it make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of guitar layers on this record. So I've, I've also mm-hmm. I've, I've I've eventually come around and like with my head and agreed that goodbye is a good closer for the record. For the longest time, though, I always felt like love and chains and goodbye needed to be flipped. Even though goodbye is like even title is like duh that's going to be the last song but imagine the last song being love and chains like the last song just busting boom it's like he would have left he would have started on a big note and left on a big note yeah it's hard for me to see it any other way only because again I've grown up with these records and they're you know that that's just how it is um, you know I've always liked the song actually I always thought it was kind of an underrated song. Um, even like I said, even though if he's written it in an hour, he's really put together something that's, you know, kind of cool and, and it's rocking too. Yeah, I like uh, the random breakaway they do too for the I'm yeah. on the run. Yeah, that's a cool bum, spot. Bum, bum, it's like, bum, bum. How do you how do you just come up with that? You know, and, and then even and then and it's one of those. It's very the, he does a very seventies um, chord progression move after that part too, where everyone's kind of riding one note on that buildup while the uh-huh. guitar's doing the win and a win and that's a very seventies move, and I just love that. So um, overall, what are your thoughts? Ten out of ten, I or nine out of nine, rather. If, <laughs> if the Ace record has my favorite vibes. You know, sound wise and all that too. The Paul record has my favorite songs. Interesting. Well, overall, I think this is in many ways Paul's peak moment. I'd agree. And it's the songwriting, uh, his vocals are strong throughout. It's like it's before he had any kind of training or coaching. You can tell there's a point where it's like his vocals change, mm-hmm. and I like it better when he when it's unstudied and untrained. It yep. just sound it just sounds more more wild. Yeah, it just sounds more you know ballsy and he chose um, to go to england to mix this record but this record still feels rushed and unfinished which in, it in likely is it just doesn't feel like uh <coughs> excuse me it just doesn't feel like um it feels like there it, it, it the production could have been better it feels like uh even though you he know, went out of his it, way to production wise like, for well, this it's thing. like it seems like he's trying to it, whereas if he'd left it a little more raw and work towards its strength as a as a raw guitar rock record, but I think he's trying to put some sense. Of, he's got he's a sheen across that. If he's yeah, he's trying to give this lushness to it. Yeah, but he doesn't. He's and I really think it, the reason why it feels that way is because it very likely is rushed. Because I think you know from what I understand, he kept he would start in one place. I don't like the studio, and they'd start over. I go, you know, yeah, and and I think then he had to go back to these quote-unquote demos i'm just speculating yeah, yeah. it feels like it was, uh, the stories that i've put together he kept going from studio to studio not liking it and then by the time you know it was getting down to the wire he had to go back and basically finish out these what were probably demos mm-hmm. i don't know 
but that's and, the that's how I have it in my head, and it feels like that. So now he's trying to polish up these things and kind of gloss them up, and he's doing it himself, and mm-hmm. he is not yet probably a proficient quote unquote producer. And see, I don't know. I guess my head canon is almost like a complete one eighty of that. Like, well, like uh, now, like, wait. That, that said, I think the guitars sound really powerful on this. I think mm-hmm. he's got a really great guitar sound, and I think part of what makes this work is that it is so raw. Yeah, you know. But it feels like to me, you know, again, it just feels like there's. Uh, he's trying to do. You know, it's like it's like you know, if I could just just get a little more time, I could add this or do that. You know, nothing's really sweetened well, he, up to I the mean, point that. I guess the other part that does makes me kind of buck on the whole it being rushed is out of everyone in the band, he has the longest time in the studios. He spent the most time in different places tracking these songs. I mean, I, I, and, I don't know. And, just, but he and, doesn't and, use it. He keeps going back to the stuff he recorded at Electric Lady and the stuff he recorded in LA not, with Jeff Glixman. Not all of it, though. Like half, much, it's half, half, of half it. That's half. what I'm saying. Half and half. But, right, think, but, but he only went to two studios, no, really. He, went, he ended it, up going it, to England. Three, he tried, he, he but mixed, England it, he mixed it. it and tried it, but I think he was over there trying to record over there. He I, just ran out of was, time. That's not what I've read. Uh, I was, I was, that's not the narrative I'm really feeling. I feel uh, that I, he started I, at one place, he finished at another, he and then mixed it at right, another. But, you know, I just think this feels like an undercooked meal. <laughs> I don't know. To me, this Maybe is this that. is Thanksgiving dinner for me. It's yeah. got everything I want. And, and, and even, let's talk on production some. I mean, I feel like we all agreed that, like, Love Gun was a pretty well-produced record. Like sonically, no, I don't like. I think it sounds coming. And we talked about this. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it sounds as strong. To me, the best sounding Kiss album is Rock and Roll Over, and I agree with that too. And know? see, to me, this this shares so much DNA sonically with Love Gun, and I hear and, that too. And, and the one thing that y'all will never be able to convince me of is that it sounds thin. Both records, to me, those two records have a warmth mm-hmm. and a body to it that just fill up my headphones. Whereas, yeah, Rock and Roll Over punches you, but to me, that record feels thin. You have to find the bass. You have to separate. I mean, you've got Ace and Paul's guitar separated a little bit more, but it's like everything kind of condenses think, in. With these records, it kind of breathes a little more. You you can hear the different guitars going off. You can hear the lushness. Well, and, I, can, I can hear. I think the guitars have more presence and are more powerful on this than they are on Love Gun. Okay, I'm, that's fine. I mean, and that's to me, opinion. I think if you're starting to hear what I think would become a Paul tone for the next couple of records, I think which so, yeah. like before we talked about how none of their two records sounded the same. Here, I think you're starting to get more of a. You're, you're, we don't know it yet, but this would, this is the beginning of what would become Paul's pronounced tone for the really the, for a like, good while. Oh I yeah, think, I think these, these uh, tones carry into Dynasty. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, and and, and, unmasked. and unmasked. Uh The peak chart position of this was forty. Mm-hmm. And that happens on the week of December sixteenth, nineteen seventy-eight. It's crazy to think he was third, and he's three months after release. So he, he, his, yeah, these records did not, you know. And this is with chart manipulation, which Larry Harris from Casablanca, you know, admits they were definitely payola doing so so i mean if this is the best they can do <laughs> i mean it's no, yeah. you know but the thing is is like all with these records we got to got to give these kind of a, a, a quick overview before yeah. we cut out here you know oh, 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 <laughs> i just throw my shit around um so you know we've got the four solo albums they're all coordinated to come out at the same day mm-hmm. the covers are intricate you know or or um coordinated to match in their own way and yep. then of course they come with the posters the that posters you can interlock so cool. if you get all four and of course as always you've got the order forms to order more swag mm-hmm. yes. all of it you know tailored to each individual member according to the record um one of the coolest pieces that they offered in that was the uh, signature necklaces yeah i thought that was so cool you could you know and you, you know, it's, I'm surprised you don't see some more of that stuff around. You know, that's the stuff that you seem to see the least of is that solo album stuff because they had like belt buckles and everything, just like everything else. Yep. But you don't see a lot of that. Mm-mm. You know. Um, so this this whole concept of the four albums again, had it been a single Kiss album, 
this would have been so much more successful. Mm-hmm. Instead, now, uh-huh. you know, you've already got disharmony bred within the group. Now they've gone out to do solo albums. And, then, you know, inadvertently, you've now got them competing against each other. Who's yeah. going to be more successful? And I don't doubt for a minute that Peter Chris thought this is just going to be my moment. Oh, yeah. He had the oh, biggest yeah. single. You know. He had the biggest hit? No. no Ace really did. Ace did. Well, I thought you said Peter. I, I said thought, Peter oh, Chris. Yeah. yeah, and Peter didn't do very well. Well, I, oh, I still consider Beth to be their biggest hit. Well, no, I'm talking about from the from the solos. Right, but you're saying they were going into it thinking this is going to yeah, be my well, biggest moment. And yeah, that's why because, I'm saying Peter oh, yeah, was thinking that because he that. had yeah, the biggest absolutely, hit. Absolutely. Yeah. And then Ace turned out to be the big surprise here because mm-hmm. he had the most successful. I think Gene's charted highest. Gene's charted highest, but even but, Gene has said that Ace's record was the better record. It was the better record, and, he, and only because, you know, I think uh, the two, Paul's and Gene's, were the most focused. I mean, Paul's and Ace's, God. <laughs> were the most focused. They yeah. knew exactly what they wanted to do and how to do it. They mm-hmm. and they worked within what they knew how to do well. Whereas uh, Peter and Gene were kind of reaching outside and yeah. trying to prove that they could do something else, and with varying degrees of success. And with uh, Paul and Ace, since they're the two guitar players, they're kind of like the most uh, Kiss sounding because they are the sound they of Kiss. Are the sound, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that would that stands to reason. But these albums, you know, they they're iconic. They're a landmark, and it, whether or not they were successful in the in their time, they've proven to be beyond successful in so many ways that probably you couldn't even measure now. Yeah, uh, no one's ever done anything like this. Mm-mm. No one uh, probably will never see anything like this again. There's not any band I can think of since Kiss that had that ability to be for individual people to stand on their own merits and do this now you could say well yeah but they weren't successful but like in the long they run again that it. it it was successful like i said in the long run as kiss you know and not of just kiss. as it's, it is <laughs> yeah but, but and not i mean i'm just saying you know this careers. established also like you said you noted this is the first time you see the coloring you know the red green Purple, uh, yeah, blue. purple and blue. You get the, you know, it really sets out the idea of individual members and gives them more identity mm-hmm. at a point when there was still a lot of mystery about who these guys were, and by design, and plus the fact that there was no social media or anything like this to go and you know, so this was a really a special era, mm-hmm. and uh, you know now they're going to kind of. They're, they're they're starting to make that transition. We've already talked about where they're kind of really steering in towards a youth preteen market which of course we're going to see on our next episode where we're going to talk about probably the most uh the biggest blunder maybe the biggest blunder of the career of kiss (laughs) as much as i love this movie i cannot disagree i don't know that you know all kiss fans love this movie but it is but some people love it because it is so not good yes it's so bad but we'll talk about this at great length because the next episode should be a fun one as we explore kiss meets the phantom of the park Mm -hmm. the 1978 series continues so we hope you have enjoyed our uh look at the solo albums and we hope you'll join us again next time on no time to thank you for listening please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash something good network